My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Perhaps if someone had told me to masturbate with a woman's orgasm in mind rather than my own, I would have been spared years of turmoil. Ian Kerner, She Comes First. How thought-provoking is that? Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and we have a super fun and full episode lined up for you today. You're going to hear from our resident sex and relationship expert, Dr. Megan Fleming, on a cue from a listener whose boyfriend comes very quickly, then leaves her hanging, no pun intended, then renowned psychotherapist and best-selling author, Dr. Ian Kerner himself, will join me for a chat on premature ejaculation. Then we will wrap up with the ultra-talented comedian, Courtney Black, who I haven't seen since my brief stint in uh, miniskirt valet car parking. Yeah, there's a strange story there. First, though, we are going to start with our Ask Dr. Megan segment because this question from Erica seemed like the perfect intro for our chat on premature ejaculation. Erica wrote this. Hi, Dr. Megan. I have a problem and hope you can help. My boyfriend of three years is amazing, but he comes within minutes when we make love, then can't seem to do much for me after. Oral isn't my favorite, but he tries. I'm more of a makeout plus hands and penis girl. My vibrator works, and he doesn't seem comfortable with me using it every time, which then makes me uncomfortable. I want us to have a sex life that matches the rest of our relationship, which is awesome. What should we do? Thank you so much for your question, Erica. Here's what Dr. Megan had to say. Erica, thank you so much for this question. Um, I'm really excited to answer it and for this episode because I think most people aren't aware that PE is really one of the most common uh, sexual dysfunctions in men, really affecting approximately 30%. Um, So the thing I want to highlight for them and for you is there's absolutely help and treatment out there, as well as coming up with ways to give yourselves more pleasure uh, in and out of the bedroom. So um, one of the things you say here is that, you know, after he ejaculates, it seems like he's really not, um, can't do much for you after. And that makes me sort of curious, you know, I'm not sure whether that's related to sort of the prolactin release of orgasm ejaculation, where, you know, we have the stereotype that men just sort of after sex want to roll over and go to sleep, which is sort of the effect of prolactin. Or as I see commonly, you know, men often feel so frustrated. They feel a sense of embarrassment or shame. And, you know, it's really their desire to give you more pleasure. And so unfortunately, that mindset sort of hijacks them and they're then not able to, from that place, continue to sort of give you pleasure. So if you both sort of you know, take the expectation, the pressure off, then either before penetration or after, there are huge opportunities to use your hands, your mouth, sex toys, uh, to give pleasure. And I get that it sounds like oral isn't your favorite. Um, but I think that, 
there's, you know, many tools in the toolbox. And it's great that your vibrator works. But I also kind of get his point of view that, you know, again, it's tools in a toolbox. So if he feels like that's the only way to give you pleasure or to bring you to orgasm, I can see why he'd want to sort of ex expand upon that. Um, and again, there's G-spot stimulation, external clitoral stimulation. Um, and I, you know, I think that creating opportunities to sort of explore um, your turn-ons and, you know, from head to toe and not even just, you know, nipple play, not just even focusing specifically on genital stimulation is certainly an important tip. And the other thing is, I'm not sure whether or not he sort of tried some of the behavioral exercises because in premature ejaculation, often they're not aware of what we call those premonitory sensations and sort of where is that, what I call that safe zone where you're aroused, but you're not approaching the tipping point, that point of inevitability where ejaculation is going to happen. And so uh, there are uh, behavioral techniques, sort of stop, start, squeeze that he can be practicing on his own or again as, together as a couple. And then there's also, some men really find the value of medication, the SSRIs, uh, it's the class of antidepressants in particular, uh, take advantage of that side effect, uh, which is to delay ejaculation. And that could be taking it in a small daily dose, or there is also evidence um, that there's efficacy sort of in that demand regimen of taking it, you know, about six hours prior to a sexual experience. And certainly in addition to medication, there are the desensitizing creams, uh, desensitizing condoms. A condom alone can cut sensation, perhaps making him last longer, as well as now promescent. Um, so there, I think the thing I most want you both to take away is the foundation of arousal is the relaxation. So, you know, take out the point of disappointment or frustration and just realize on the front end or the back end, there's so many opportunities to give you pleasure. And what I always say is, you know, make room for round two. Um, you know, there's no reason to think that you, if you're enjoying uh, the experience, that he's not going to have another erection. And for many men, it's the second time that, you know, he's just going to significantly last longer. So, you know, I know you've been together three years. It's awesome and amazing that you're loving all other aspects of your relationship. And I would just say, come into thinking about your sex life, leaving behind the history and the story and really writing the new chapter of what you want your love life to look like. Relax, enjoy, have fun. And as always, totally want to hear how it goes. Thanks. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. Everybody check her out at greatlifegreatsex.com. I love what she said about the foundation of arousal being relaxation. That's so powerful, and I think we can all learn from that. And and also exploring more about, like she said, um, if maybe sleepiness has something to do with it. Sounds like there's a lot of options to uh, manage PE. And toward that end, I'm super, super excited to welcome a renowned expert on the topic. Ian Kerner is a licensed psychotherapist and nationally recognized sexuality counselor who specializes in sex therapy, couples therapy, and working with individuals on a range of relational issues. He approaches psychotherapy from an integrative perspective, which seeks to explain human behavior by bringing together physiological, affective, cognitive behavioral, neurobiological, and systemic approaches as they apply to the natural stages of human development and the wide range of human functioning. He's regularly quoted as an expert in the media with recent appearances on CNN, The Today Show, and more, writes a bi-monthly sexual health column for Prevention Magazine, and contributes regularly to CNN Health. 
His fabulous book, She Comes First, is a one of the best-selling sex advice books of all time, as I understand it, uh, has been translated into more than a dozen languages, and he's just a wonderful resource. I'm so honored to have you here today, Ian. How are you? Oh, great. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I loved your book so much, and one thing I really, really respect about you and your work is you not only have this wonderful expertise professionally and all this experience working with, with people, you also write and and come from a very personal standpoint when it comes to uh, premature ejaculation. Would you share why you decided to share your own story when you began writing the book? Um, well, I thought that it was extremely relevant to just my, my journey in terms of um, better understanding female sexuality, the pressures and anxieties that I experienced as somebody who uh, suffered from premature ejaculation, um, learning to sort of break free from what I call the intercourse discourse and the idea that there's only really one proper way to make love and learning how to make love with all parts of my body, not just my penis, but my hands, my mouth, my eyes, my brain. And um, I think the main reason I also wanted to just highlight my own journey is because I think that a lot of men who suffer from premature ejaculation are really experiencing a lot of shame and, and anguish and, and distress over it. Um, and unlike some other issues like erectile disorder, where we can see commercials for Viagra, Levitra, and Cialis, I think that uh, premature ejaculation isn't really very well understood. There's a lot of myths about it. And um, I just thought it was important to get out in front of it with my own personal journey. And uh, I think that that's one of the reasons that the book She Comes First has endured over the years. And, um, you know, barely a day goes by where some guy somewhere uh, suffering with PE, um, you know, writes to me. Um, uh, I hear from men constantly. Um, so I, I, they were, that's why I did it. <laughs> and why are some of, what are some of the, main questions or concerns that they write to you about? Well, I think, you know, a lot of men, um, you know, want to be able to uh, last longer, are um, frustrated with um, the lack of a solution. I think, interestingly, you know, She Comes First was really written to uh, encourage men to understand that the Clitoris is the powerhouse of the female orgasm and to sort of embrace sexual clitoracy and really understand female sexuality. And I'm, I'm, I, I really espouse um, oral sex uh, in that book. And um, ironically, I hear from a lot of men who uh, would like to be pleasuring their partners in ways outside of intercourse, but sometimes find that their female partners are sort of... Um, sometimes almost narrowly focused on only wanting to have intercourse. And so in some cases, men are writing to me because they're, you know, frustrated and how do they sort of uh, encourage their partner to embrace sort of the philosophy and practices if she comes first. Beautiful. I love that. You talk a lot about foreplay and broadening uh, the definition or changing it, you say, so perhaps we need to find a word other than foreplay in order to properly classify 
and appreciate the importance of cunnilingus, we need a category that is more encompassing and inclusive. Why is that so important? Well, I think that um, a lot of um, men sort of approach um, oral sex with somewhat of a double standard. They, they love to receive it. Um, and uh, But when it comes to giving, um, they approach it sort of like uh, going to a restaurant and having an occasional appetizer as opposed to something that they really are operationalizing and implementing consistently as part of their sex life. And I just, I mean, I really, uh, as much as I talk to men, I've talked to thousands, maybe tens of thousands of women who really just do not have orgasms consistently um, during intercourse, but can have orgasms if there's some form of direct clitoral stimulation and usually would prefer that that um, stimulation is in the form of cunnilingus, in the form of oral sex. And so I really wanted to get men, you know, out of the habit of just, you know, thinking of... Um, oral sex as like an appetizer that comes before the main course of intercourse and really understanding that they could, you know, place it, you know, uh, center stage as a, as an activity that can really, um, um, provide their partners with orgasmic pleasure. Beautiful. I love that so much. And I hear a lot from, um, listeners, primarily women, but, uh, uh, all genders, really. And I actually received a question very related to what you're speaking about. I'd love to hear what you think. Dr. Megan Fleming, our resident sex and relationship expert, answered it earlier on in the show. Yeah, I mean, um, I would, you know, first of all, I mean, she sounds like a wonderful, loving, appreciative, uh, empathetic um, um, partner, um, which is uh, really important. And her boyfriend, I'm sure, feels embarrassed and ashamed. And he must feel, as I felt when I was really suffering from premature ejaculation, as somebody who's um, sexually crippled and in some ways. And so this is a person who, you know, can't last, you know, 10 or 15 minutes during intercourse. And, you know, we also have to remember that most intercourse positions only haphazardly provide clitoral stimulation. So even if a guy or even if this person was able to last much longer during intercourse, it doesn't mean that there still wouldn't potentially um, be an orgasm gap. But there is an orgasm gap, and they're both trying to sort of bridge that gap. And, you know, her boyfriend um, needs to find other, they need to find other ways of creating orgasmic pleasure. So I think that said, I might ask her to place a little more effort and mindfulness around thinking about why she doesn't like oral sex. When I, when I talk to women about oral sex, um, uh, some women don't like their partner's techniques. Uh, there was one woman who told me, you know, every time he goes down on me, it's like the, the running of the bulls in Spain, just a mad rush, you know, at my vagina. Another woman told me it was like, uh, you know, a, a cobra trying to protect itself from a mongoose, you know. And uh, <laughs> so sometimes a guy's oral sex techniques, you know, aren't really in tune with uh, the principles of, you know, good clitoral stimulation. Um, other times, though, women have told me, you know, I'm just a little uncomfortable. It's not like uh, I, maybe a woman has low genital self-esteem. It's not an area that she thinks is her most 
beautiful part of her body, or a woman may be worried about how she smell or smells or how she tastes. And some women say, you know, I just worry that it kind of takes me a long time to orgasm, and I feel bad that he's down there, or I wonder if he really um, is enjoying it. And so I would encourage her to think a little more about her reasons and to have a conversation um, with her partner, because I think that oral sex is a a great activity for providing clitoral stimulation. It's a very loving act. I know given the choice sometimes for a man between um, providing manual stimulation either with his hand or with a vibrator versus oral sex, many men will say um, they just feel much more connected during oral sex and it's very arousing for them. Um, and they love doing it. So I, I would encourage them to give oral sex, sex maybe a second or a third chance. Um, you know, I would say um, there are things that he can do to maybe increase what's called his uh, IELT, his intravaginal ejaculatory latency time, which is basically, you know, his ability to sustain, you know, penetrative thrusting during um, intercourse, he can try a topical spray like promescent, um, which is helps to sort of numb the penis a bit, and he could last longer that way potentially. Um, I, what, what I what I used to do when I was really suffering uh, from premature ejaculation is um, I would think about ways of really increasing arousal. So that's throughout the process. So that could be vocalizing during sex, um, sharing fantasies during sex, watching porn during sex, whatever you can to just generate uh, arousal and then segue into some form of direct clitoral stimulation. If oral sex is really off the table, then I would tell him to, you know, really get handy with that vibrator and, you know, um, uh, just treat it like an extension uh, of his body and, um, what I would ask is that as his partner uh, is receiving that direct clitoral stimulation, say from a vibrator, when she feels like she's getting close to having an orgasm, maybe a minute away or 30 seconds away, to just let him know and then to transition into an intercourse position like the woman on top position, um, which provides a lot of direct clitoral stimulation. It's sort of getting into what I call the 60-second window. And even if he does ejaculate, which is very possible um, because he suffers from premature ejaculation and he'll be quite aroused, um, but that's okay because... He'll, he'll be able to last for, you know, however long he can last. He's hopefully in that 60-second window. If she hasn't had an orgasm yet, he probably still has another 60 to 90 seconds before he fully loses his erection. Um, and she's in a position where she'll be getting a lot of clitoral stimulation from just sort of um, um, grinding or pressing into his pubic bone. And so in that position, I think that there's a very high likelihood that both partners will orgasm. Uh, again, it worked for me uh, quite consistently getting into, again, what I call the 60-second window. And I know it's worked for a number of my patients as well. I love that. And it sounds like a wonderful way to grow together, too. Like you said, communicating about all of this and 
experimenting with all these different kinds of ways to have pleasure and with timing. I'm curious about actually managing PE. Is it in some cases is one of the goals of, of kind of treatment or management to delay ejaculation or is it once once you're actually either having intercourse or having sexy play of any kind or or is it or is it just if you if you have a short window once you're doing certain things that's just kind of the way your body is well um, you know many men who suffer from PE suffer from it chronically it's sort of the way they're wired the way they always been and from one perspective it's really a sign of uh, health and fitness and that you know men are designed to ejaculate in order to help propagate the human race and uh, if you think back to you know earlier times it may not always be advantageous for a guy to have a very long latency time when he's uh, having sex with his partner so I do try and encourage him encourage men to you know, just think of it as uh, potentially, um, you know, an aspect of their overall um, sexual health. But uh, nonetheless, a lot of men have, have always experienced this. And uh, premature ejaculation isn't really curable, um, but it is manageable. Again, you can use sprays like promescent. Um, you can uh, potentially take a small dose of an antidepressant, an SSRI, which has the effects of delaying ejaculation. You can uh, use cognitive behavior, cognitive behavior and mindfulness to really tune into your arousal process and uh, minimize anxiety. So I think that there are things that uh, men can do to really manage um, PE in addition to enhancing and changing the sex script, as I describe, and she comes first by really emphasizing activities that provide um, direct clitoral stimulation. Does that that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, that is so interesting and so helpful. And I love what you said about it potentially being a a sign of health and it could be just the way you're wired. And I imagine that because you said it could cause a lot of shame. When you undo some of the shame, I imagine that's really uplifting and helpful. And I just felt a sense of relief just hearing you say that. That's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. A lot of um, you know men are worried that oh, does my partner just think that I'm sexually selfish or am I sexually immature? Why am I like this? Is am I neurotic in some ways? Um, um, was it the way I masturbated as a child? But but studies have been done that have compared men with premature ejaculation to men who do not have, suffer from premature ejaculation, and there really there isn't any difference in the way they approach sex, the way they uh, masturbate, um, and so it really the latest science is really telling us that uh, premature ejaculation may be. Uh, genetic, it may be an inheritable trait, uh, it may have uh, a basis in sort of the chemistry of the brain and that men with premature ejaculation may have more of a, more dopamine um, than serotonin than um, men who, who don't suffer from premature ejaculation. So um, I would say that, you know, premature ejaculation is uh, is, is not learned. It's not acquired usually. Um, it, it does not respond well to anxiety. It is a function of anxiety, but usually it's the anxiety around 
having premature ejaculation that uh, increases it, not, not the other way around. So interesting. Uh, I love also what you talk about. In, when you share your own story, you say that if someone had told you to masturbate with a woman's orgasm in mind rather than your own, that you would have been spared a lot of turmoil. Would you speak to what you meant by that? Um, you know, again, I think it was um, at that time when I was writing the book, understanding the principles of clitoral stimulation, understanding that men, you know, really experience spontaneous desire and arousal very quickly and can get to ejaculation uh, very quickly. I think as a young man, um, I didn't really know any of this and I wasn't really living in the age of the internet. So, you know, you live with your own sense of how you experience uh, sex and desire or you see something in the movies or on TV and that tends to sort of more model the way men experience desire and arousal. And so I don't really think I had a good model for understanding how women experience desire and arousal and, you know, effectively that I kind of needed to, you know, really slow down and, 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 and take my time and um, not, not experience a mad rush to orgasm. Um, you know, when you look at the hotel records um, around porn use, um, many men only watch the movies for like three to five minutes. And they're done. Oh, there's a siren in the background, typical. <laughs> no City. worries. Uh, um, you know, so I think, you know, on the whole, um, men can benefit from, uh, you know, masturbating in a way in which they slow down. They recognize their process of arousal. They observe when they're getting close to that point of ejaculatory inevitability. They sort of pull back from that point. Um and they allow themselves to sort of cycle back in the process of arousal a little more before um, continuing. Mm, yeah, that makes great sense. I love that. It reminds me of, you know, uh, I've heard from women who use a vibrator consistently for sex. And a lot of times it's to get off quick, you know, and they can sort of yeah. lose that mindfulness and, and not feel the full arousal in your body, too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, you know, that's the other thing about suffering from premature ejaculation is, you know, you're so worried about um, sex and you're so focused on sort of controlling arousal or minimizing arousal or distracting yourself from arousal that it's really sad that you don't really get to experience arousal. Yeah, yeah, I could see that for sure. I hope everybody reads your book if they haven't. I think it's such a valuable resource uh, for, for everyone. And I love you have all these great exercises, which I think are awesome, whether you are or your partner is experiencing these specific issues or not. Remind us where we can learn more about you and your work. Oh, just on my website, iankerner.com. Perfect. I will share that link as well. And thank you for all you do. I really appreciate your voice and, and expertise. Thank you. Take care. Thank you, August. I appreciate it coming on. Take care. Bye. He was so awesome. Again, check out iankerner.com. And She Comes First. You can buy it at any bookstore or on Amazon. 
Next, I am so thrilled to introduce my friend and fabulous comedian, Courtney Black. Originally from Washington, D.C., Courtney is a cool, sexy chick with two Bachelor of Science degrees, but making people laugh is what this lady really has down to a science. On stage, she shares her witty views on life, love, and adapting to the carefree ways of living in Los Angeles. I love that she's carefree. I don't think everybody is, but (laughs) we can all learn from you. Uh, She's a co-host of the J. Anthony Brown radio show and has made a bunch of fabulous TV appearances, including as a guest host on The Real. She's open for her comedic idol, Martin Lawrence, and is basically a badass. So thank you for being here, Courtney. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I was just thinking you've opened for so many amazing people and, you know, other people have opened for you. Right. But you probably have never followed a expert analysis of premature ejaculation. (laughs) And clitoral stimulation, no. Is this a first? (laughs) That was a first. I was like, when I first walked in, that's the first thing I heard. And I was like, interesting. Well, I mean, people need to get that right, though, right? Yeah, they do. (laughs) It's important. (laughs) Well, I'm honored to be part of your first. Oh, thank you. I don't know how often this is going to happen for you. (laughs) I have a lot of cherries to pop, so Yeah, there you go. Here's one of them. Here's one of them. So have you ever talked about this before? Have you experienced it with any of your partners before? Premature ejaculation. Um, not as a, like, not with a significant lover or, you know, boyfriend or relationship. And I think maybe the possible times it did happen, it may have been because of nerves or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, like the buildup was just so. And then you go a second time and it's normal. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, the second time in the same round of, of sexual pleasure. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. But I've never had it as a real issue, so no. Yeah, I didn't realize how common it was. Right. That was really surprising to me because, again, it's when we don't talk about something. It exactly. It festers and we feel like we're the only one. Right. And, so I hope a lot of men hear that because, I you know, so, so they don't feel alone. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And what did you learn about sex and sexuality when you were growing up? Um, not too much. I mean, my parents were very strict. They were from the South, um, Charleston, South Carolina, and they moved to D.C. My mother is a preacher's kid, like one of seven kids. So she's very, like, into the church and brought us into the church. So, I mean, when I got my period, she took me on a drive and was like, so you're a woman now, and, you know, that means you can get pregnant. And I'm like, ugh, gross, no, I can't, you know. But um, sex... I never really, maybe like a general birds and like you can get pregnant in the sperm and the egg, but nothing like my mother didn't really delve into, you know, good conversation. Yeah. And that's really common. It's interesting. I think for some reason, the church background seems to go into this. You're a woman now, because that's exactly what my mom said. <laughs> really? And I think I ran out of the room, if right. I recall correctly. Because when you hear that, and you're yeah. in that gawky, <laughs> yeah. icky stage right. of you, it's just like the last thing you want to hear, you know? Exactly. And I, and then the next thing about pregnancy, it was yeah. just like, there's, <laughs> there's never anything like, you may start having pressure. Right. Is there a buffer in between this? Can I get, right? you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then I was brought up like you don't have kids before marriage and all that kind of thing. Like it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even thought of. So, which is why I'm so messed up right now because I've waited for the guy and I still don't have my kid. And now I'm like, fuck, you know what I mean? And then my mother just let me go like last year. She's like, oh, Courtney, it's okay. You don't have to. I'm like, bitch, it's late now. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
<laughs> Could have saved you a lot of exactly. guilt earlier. On. Yeah, so much guilt. So. But now you have all this wonderful fodder for your work. Yes, which I do. Is great. Exactly. So we met. Yes. <laughs> this is what I recall. So this was. We were doing this spokes model job mm-hmm. where we valet parked cars in little short skirts. Yes. And what I remember being so hilarious about this, besides you, because you've always been very funny, <laughs> was that we were hanging out and then we're starting to actually park the cars. And we very quickly realized that most of them were stick shift. Right. And I don't drive stick shift. So I was like waving at people and I would tell them, I don't know how to drive your car, but you can park it over there. And then right. they would hand me a wad of money. It was the weirdest like thing. Like August got paid the biggest tips to do nothing. Yeah, I think it was like pity tips. They're like, oh, that bless her so heart. Funny. Like she doesn't know how to drive. And you never got fired. Which I didn't. No. Which I probably wanted to. We were cute in skirts. You know, you LA me? man. It's exactly. A weird place. It yeah. is. So how did... <laughs> our valet parking experience turned into this, this career. No, you're right. you were obviously acting and doing a lot of other things. Right. How did all of that lead into stand up? Um, because I would have never have imagined I would be a comedian at all. That was never on my radar. I rarely watched I mean, I watched some comedy like the you know, Eddie Murphy and Robin Williams specific things like growing up, but I was never like, ooh, on comedy growing up and I liked SNL. Um but what happened is, is I was in this haze of the audition process in L.A., and it was like, well, I came from a medical background, so let's say that. That's part of my bio, the sexy science chick or whatever. I have two degrees. I used to do cancer research. So when you met me, I had just, like, taken the plunge into L.A. Like, I felt it was like, ah, and I was just, I'm supposed to be here and doing this. So... I had to learn from, you know, everything, and I started doing background work, and then that's when I was doing these odd jobs and just meeting cool artistic people, creative people, and I learned so much doing background work, and I would get upgraded on set, like, on I got upgraded so many times on movies and commercials um, to a principal role, but then when I would get into an audition, like, with the white room, I couldn't make it come alive, I felt weird, I couldn't make the words be mine, like, it's a whole different thing. it's a whole different thing, yeah. You know, but I think when I was on the set and it was all there, I could just be that person. So I was just praying um, every night. I would say my prayers on my knees and I'd be like, God, give me a, a avenue where I can say my own words. I thought it was the words. You know, I couldn't make them mine. And at the same time, I had a girlfriend in one of my in my group and she was like, Courtney, you need to do stand up. You're so funny. Come on. I help you. write. Come on. And I was like, girl, I can't be on stage by myself. No, that's not never. I don't know what you're talking about. So she was in my ear for two years literally saying this and I was praying for two years literally saying this and one night I was on my knees praying the same thing God give me a venue or avenue where I can use my own words and it just said ding it was just like a light I had been fighting her so bad and I was like what if that's it comedy you know what I mean stand up I think that's it. What did you feel in that moment? Terror and excitement? Yes. I felt, well, I felt the light bulb moment was just so grand. Like, it was just so, bing, you're so stupid. It's been there all along. You know, Mm. you fought it for two years. I felt like a waste of two years. But still, it was like this big light bulb moment of like, ah. And then, I mean, yeah, it was like terror. And then I'm a book girl. Like I said, I so much school. So I'm like, I got to take a class and I got to, I'm not just going to jump in foolishly to anything. So, um, but that same girlfriend is a photographer and 
I, I called her up. I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And this was like October. And she had just moved into a new um, photography studio on Sunset. And she's like, cool, I'm having like an open house Christmas party. And, you know, she had you know, so many cool and talented people. And she's like, you're going to compo- you're gonna perform at the Christmas party. And I was like, oh. So I had like a month and a half. And Was that your first gig? That was my first gig. <laughs> so it, that was the most emotion. It was so crazy, August. Mm. Like I tell people this story because it's so weird. So we're there, and everybody's, like, eating and drinking and talking, festive, you know? And then she has, like, singers and me, comedy, and she's like, okay, so five minutes. She comes to me, five minutes, Court, you ready? And I was like, literally, my heart started beating, like, out of my chest. Why did a tear roll down my eye? (laughs) It was, like, so crazy. I just, like, freaked out really, like, crazy. I had to go outside, get some air. I was like, oh, my God. And my other girlfriend, she's like, you don't have to do it. And I was like, no, I have to do it. I have to know if I can do it or whatever. I just got to take the fail. Literally, when the first words came out my mouth, that was it. I had them laughing, and I was like, the fear was gone, and I was just into what I was talking about. So it was delicious. And everything was affirmed. This is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Amazing. And what do you love most about it? Um, So what I love, again is being able to, like I said, say my own words. I mean, and even that is still like so tricky because now that's a whole nother challenge of how to come across, like what, you know, it's like, who am I? I have to answer that question because obviously your your platform and your whole um, stand up persona is like, that's gonna be your fan base. That's what are you selling? What are you saying to people? What are you portraying? You know what I mean? And so in the beginning, you can be a little frivolous with that, but then it comes with responsibility at the end. And so at the same time, it's like making your words and making your stories that are heartfelt stories and real stories. You have to make them funny. And I've always been funny, which is true, but it was my hardest thing was that I never tried. So I never knew when I was being funny. Everybody would laugh around me. But I'm like, well, what did I say? I always, I've always said that my whole life. Like, so what did I say? Like, what did I say that made you laugh? It was, it was just. A- and having to be funny on commands. Like, exactly. Like people, because the thing that it's so amazing to me about comedians is that it isn't just that you're socializing and funny things come up. People pay to watch you be funny. Exactly. Now. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Right. And you have to relate to, you know, 300 people in the room at a minimum. You know what I mean? Mm. So that can be intimidating in the beginning. And really the whole comedy journey, it's like one big circle of learning how to get back to your natural self. It's really weird. Like you yeah. have to go through all these trials and tribulations and all these questions and fails and, and rises and like um, successes and falls and all it to get back to find out who you, when you're funny with your friends. Like, you know, you think you can just go up there and be that person the first time, but you can. It's a lot of learning and... It's a whole craft it is. and it is, it discipline. Is. It is. And yeah. But it feels really good when you meet those challenges and you're like, oh my God, I just learned something new. Like, I got uh, it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's so amazing. Yeah. I interviewed comedian Sean Polofsky oh, yeah. in, in December. Uh-huh. She, I love her too. She's amazing. <laughs> and she was talking about the challenges of being a woman in a very male-driven business and the, the misperception that women aren't funny. Right. And I wonder too if, because we've talked a little bit about, um, you know, racism and I know it's I feel like there are more conversations about that than there have been in recent years. There's so much that needs to be done. Have you found challenges as a woman, as a black woman, as a black person 
in comedy? Yes, I don't find too much racism in comedy. I will say that. Maybe I'm not at that level yet or something, but just, I mean, it's hard enough just being a woman. They'll have all male lineups, you know what I mean, and maybe one female, and that's maybe. You know, they don't look out for us, and they'll be like, like you said, the stigma is that there aren't any funny women, yet, like, four of the guys on the show are not funny. So, what do you, you know what I mean? It's like they'll have a bunch of unfunny men. Yeah. Subpar. And they're okay with that. And they're okay with that. But the women, it's almost like being a black person in America. You have to do 10 times as, as better just to be, like, regular. You know yes. what I mean? So a woman has to do that. We have to, like, knock their socks off on stage mm. just to be considered, like, part of the group. So, yeah, that's, that's like, a hard battle that we're always fighting. Like, so I myself, I've put on shows where it's just, like, all females because I want to give my females time. So imagine if, if we, you know, funny females can't even get stage time. Imagine if you're new. You really, it's really hard for you to get stage time because then you're going to open mics and the guys are looking out for their friends. So even at the early stages, you know, you're just sitting around waiting and you're never getting up. So I also would do that. I would give like the first three minutes to a funny new chick. Well, she didn't have to be funny, but a new person like within a year. You had to be doing comedy for at least a year. And I would give you the first three minutes of a show just because it's hard for females to get time. It's like ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, we've got to open doors for each other in, every, yeah. in everything that we do. And it's, I saw Hidden Figures yesterday. Yes, I love it. So incredible. And one of the takeaways for me, it was just such a such a powerful illustration of, of not only the fierceness of uh-huh. those women, but also, and they're so inspiring. Right. <laughs> but it also makes me sad that in order for them to move forward, they had to be the smartest, the The, most driven, the most willing to step forward and risk their jobs to ask a freaking question. Exactly. I just, it, I, I can't get over that. Right. And that's what people, like, that's racism. That's what people don't understand. It's how hard we have to go further than a normal white person. You don't have to do as much, you know, but we do. It's like you have to do 10 times above. It was so funny. I was just watching um, Fox Morning News, and they were talking about the hidden figures. They had one of the the ladies on. And the the newscaster was just, I was going to tweet it, because she was saying, oh, you know, nobody's ever heard of this story. And it's just so crazy. I guess it was just one of those things that was just forgotten. And it's like, no, it wasn't forgotten. Like, America has subdued and buried these stories of black Americans so that we don't look good. Like, that's part of the, you know, making the black race look bad. They'll, if it was a white person, please, these stories would have been out. You know, that's yeah. why all the negative black stuff makes the press immediately. But imagine this, and I asked my grandmother, I asked my mother, who was a science teacher, and she's like, feels so bad. She's like, because I would, she's retired now, but she's like, I would give my kids, you know, they'd had to do a, a biography of a black scientist, and I never even knew, heard of these women. Like, I feel so bad, and I asked women in my family of different generations, nobody ever knew these stories, and it's crazy that nobody has ever heard. So just imagine, there are other stories out there, and I have said this for you, I'm so tired of these slave movies and it's like I know there are other stories out there than just yeah, slave it's like movies. those are important but that's not the and there's this I think there's a it's easy to separate ourselves in a way from the slavery stuff we're like well that's over right Right. Which it's not really, but right. I mean, it's yeah. over in the context of, of what that. exactly that was. Exactly. And so, and for me, it's been very eye-opening uh, because certainly I didn't, I didn't realize how much. I don't think we do realize how much racism there is. If if you're not a person of color, you don't, you don't have to think about it. Right. You don't. 
And I have had so many moments over the last years where uh, a friend of mine who is of color will will say something that is it just strikes it it boggles my mind yeah and i just it it's amazing how easy it is to be ignorant right 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 if you don't know look Mm. at it right you're right it's like you know in in talking with like police i was just thinking that we were having a conversation it's like if you're stopped by a police guy just on a regular whatever it is it's like um as a black person i really to this day have to be really chill and cool i can't raise my voice or ask a question you know like it's really serious yeah a white person can be like what what are you what are you stopping me for i'm late what's the problem okay what did i do write the ticket come on just write my ticket i'm late come on let's go you can even have that kind of attitude and that's what happened to you yeah. We can't do that at all. Yeah. I was stopped because the guy that wasn't even looking, but an Asian police guy pulled me over, drew his gun. I was going to, uh, it was daytime at 10 o'clock in the morning. I had a um, donut because the night before I got a flat tire. So I had a donut, but I was also going to meet with my new agent. So I was dressed in a jacket and a blouse and slacks looking very professional drew his gun on some like really BS and I'm like excuse me and like at the back of my car like I'm gonna do something it was just like the craziest thing August like I can't even imagine that's terrifying it it is it's and it's really weird so Uh, so what advice would you give to because and I have to give you so much credit for speaking about all this and also for because one thing that I personally and other people who want to do more for racial justice who are white it's like not overburdening people of color is so important, like for you to have to be the person to always educate us, for example. You know, I've gotcha. I, I've always or have recently been trying to be very aware of that. And to I think it's important for us to educate ourselves unless somebody comes forward and says, I'm here for you as a resource. And I was so touched when I uh, started that Facebook group, the White Women for right. Women of Color, for people to learn more about becoming allies and and fighting for racial justice. And you offered, you said, you know, I'm a resource. Right. And I so appreciate that. You're Um, welcome. That's a great group, too. What is something that you would recommend to somebody who is white and who's maybe like, I don't... I, I don't. Well, I think I'm not racist. I don't know what to do. Right. Like, what can I do? Well, let me start first by what you said is burdening, burdening like a black person by saying it's not a burden. I think that's the first step. It's like we don't know what you. We assume that you know. We don't know that you guys are as ignorant and and blind of what's going on. We kind of think you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? We think you know, and you're just ignoring it. So that's that's a great that's a great tip to know that no I'm really oblivious we really don't know and if I mean that is the start of a conversation right there we could see how you guys and you know these are white people who aren't from racist families and like just you are just regularly good hearted Caucasians and you're just oblivious and we can't be mad at that so if you were to voice that I mean that's eye opening for me and eye opening for other people of color I believe. And that's a great start right there. Like, oh, you need to see my point of view, but I also need to see yours. Maybe mm. you really don't know. So admitting where you're at. Yeah. yeah. I think that's great. Just admitting where you're at. And I would. And so you. my point is that you would not be burdening me. You know, if you started that, I'd be like, oh, really? Oh, well, here, let me enlighten you. A lot of black people would love to tell, yeah. you know, their point of view or what's going on. Or even if they haven't specifically experienced something, they know a friend or a family or a story that of someone who has. So they would be gladly, like, they would gladly share any information if they knew it was wanted. We don't think that it's, you guys care. Uh, 
Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. That is really big. We we do need more people to care. Right. And I do think there there's a lot of people who care but don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. But I remember a moment when there had been several police shootings in a row of, of black people. And uh, a black friend of mine said something about uh, – I was talking to her and I said, you know, I just don't – I feel so uncomfortable speaking about racism because I feel like I don't have the right because I'm white. Mm-hmm. And and she was saying that discomfort, that's what she lives with um, all, the time. all the time. Like yeah. it's it's not something. And, and I think of that every time I because there is this sort of like, I'm afraid I'm going to get this wrong. Or right, and I don't what if say I screw wrong. it up? Right, yeah. Right. And the thing is, we'll make mistakes. Wow. But wouldn't you rather see somebody try yes and make a mistake yes 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 because the mistake can be corrected it's like try that shows you care that shows you have interest i mean it's just like any other cause it's like if a kid was being molested or something the thing is i think is that we you know what one thing is acceptance i think if the caucasian race could accept it as opposed to saying things like oh slavery get over it Slavery happened 4,000, 4, 4, whatever it happened, how many ever years ago? You know, just that get over it, get over it, get over it. Is There's no racism now. Like, no, we're, that is the first step that pisses us off. Like, open your eyes. So that's why we think that you guys just don't care or don't want to see anything because that's what we hear the most of. Because, yeah, too many people don't. Too many people say that. Just get over it. Yeah. Get over it. It's over with. There's no racism. Shut up. You know what I mean? Like, stop crying. Stop whining. Yeah. That's what, oh, the oh the black card. Oh, you're going to play the race card now? You're going to play the race card? Uh, like, that's the first thing when you say anything. It's like... Which I, I would hope, <laughs> if anybody's listening who tends to say those things, right. <laughs> I would hope that they would just pause, take mm-hmm. a breath, and go, why do I feel so defensive? Mm-hmm. Like, why? You know, because right. none of us want it. First of all, none of us want to hear that. We've all had some sort of ex <laughs> who's like, <laughs> you know... Don't be sensitive. Stop right. crying. Snap Stop out of it. Stop acting crazy. Right. Don't be you. Right. Yeah. And that, it's gaslighting. Right. It's, it's what Trump does. It, right. Um, <laughs> it makes us crazier. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we can't we can't know someone else's experience. So right. as soon as you start saying you you don't experience this, exactly. this doesn't happen to you. Right. You don't know that. And, and that's I went to molestation just making a big thing. But if it was a kid saying they've been molested and you're like, no, you weren't. No, your uncle would never do that. Or please. He's a great he's a preacher. You know, whatever. You and you weren't molested. No, you weren't. Be quiet. It's right. the same thing. It's mm. just racism is just another like abuse or whatever yeah. that is, you know, being just swept away. That's as, such a good point, because, again, it's people who don't want to believe it's real. Don't want to believe it's then real. Then assume it's not. Right. Which and then, is so hurtful. And it is so hurtful to the victim. Think of that yeah. victim. So Yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it's really deep. Hard. And it's it you're is. right. It's like, I don't have the, I don't know how to get out of it. I think only time, um, have you seen 13th? Mm-mm. Oh my gosh. It is so telling. So Ava DuVernay, have you heard of it? I have heard of it. Okay. So it's on Netflix and it's a documentary. And it is just so telling of like it tells you more about just not the racism of it, it's like hello why wouldn't america be racist basically it, it leads us into acceptance to me it did um of why we wouldn't be divisive and because the white europeans came here with that mentality and then how they use that mentality and then it just goes back from the 1900s to like present day and how they have switched with the prison system and it's just it's so very enlightening of 
America ideology. And so I'm like, oh, yeah. So if you look at it, gradually we have improved. You know what I mean? And it's only a matter of time, I guess, another however 100 years that we could be, you know, in a better place. It's only time. But, it I mean, that if anybody needs to just get some history, it is really, really informative. I'm going to check that out. I love what you said about how could we not be. Yeah. Because I think... You know, especially if you don't know a history and history has been curated. Right. Like you yes. said, for black people, people of color, for women, like, yes. you know, we just didn't learn that stuff. Right. So we didn't. how can you know what you don't right. know unless you actively seek it? Exactly. I was like, good sources. you know, an element, well, we're taught about the Civil War and we're taught about slavery and, you know, and it's just that. But this just actually lets you know the mindset. And, you know, the things of how we were built as a country, it really goes much deeper into things we weren't taught. And I came out of it like, yeah, why wouldn't we be where we are racist and this divisive and white people feeling this way about black people being fearful of them and scared? You just it's it's common sense, basically. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'd love to switch gears a bit to a topic you talk about in your comedy a lot. You are seeking a soulmate. I am. Tell us what you're looking for. Ah, well, I have, um, I'm older now, so I've moved from the frivolous. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have the little checklist of right. what it looks like. You don't have that. to be six, six and, you know, fine and everything. But no, but I do like, I, of course, love humor. I love an educated guy. Um, I like to have conversations. So I like someone who's funny and can talk. Um, I really need like an intelligent guy. Um, I love assertiveness. Um, so he has dreams, goals, he goes after what he wants. Um, that assertiveness is very sexy to me and manly. And a lot like you. I mean, which, you know, it's so interesting. I remember when early on, when I was in my 20s, I would think of like the perfect guy for me would right. be a writer. And like, <laughs> ah. it was funny because all the things I was looking for were the things I wanted to cultivate in myself. Ah. And then you actually realize that... <laughs> you want to date you. <laughs> which sounds very narcissistic, but you know right. what I mean. It's yeah. just somebody who's on the same wavelength exactly. and who has similar values right? and, and all of that. That's that is amazing. interesting, August. Yeah. Thank you. Man, I, so feel are you... <laughs> <laughs> I feel weird. I feel weird. I'm glad I could help. Yeah. Um, so are you dating? Do you use dating apps and all that? Um, I have. I have used online dating. I am seeing somebody right now, so that's that's cool. Oh, cool. And, and, yeah, that has um, promise. So <laughs> I won't make you spill those details. Thank you, thank since you. It's new. But you know, also mainly, it's just nice to like somebody. Like yeah. it's so hard to find someone you like. You know, and especially in like, LA. I think. Yeah, especially in LA. Everything, everybody's transient. Everything's moving. So whatever it's just like oh do i want to get dressed for this guy like is he worth it do you i want to drive and exactly exactly <laughs> it's like all of this so yeah petty but it's it's, but it's real true. it's yeah, real it's so real. when you find somebody you don't mind doing those simple things for it's cool yeah so yeah have but, you had any um particularly not good dating experiences? oh my gosh girl that's all my comedy like i am the, yeah, I'm like a weird dating. I'm like I used to be the first date wonder because I mean it would be my choice, but my first dates were like just crazy. I've had the craziest first dates. Um, Tell us about one. One guy, um, when I met him, he had a hat on, right? But he had like a suit and a nice like hat, and so we went to dinner and he had a hat on again. And I'm just kind of weird because I'm like. I need to see what your head looks like. I think you're hiding something, you know? Like, I'm thinking, like, 
you know, women, my husband and what our kids are going to look like. And I can't have like a torpedo shaped head. Like I'm thinking of <laughs> SNL. You remember the family that had the torpedo heads back in the day? Uh-huh. I don't know. I go through all this in my mind. So I'm like asking him to remove his hat. I'm like, you've had this hat on. And he's fighting me. He's like, no, no, no. I'm like, well, now I'm really curious what's going on. And he's like, okay, well, before I remove it, I have to tell you, um, I have a bullet in my head. (laughs) I was shot eight months ago. I'm like, what? This guy had on a suit. He wasn't a thug. I didn't meet him like in Compton. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and he was like, yeah, so it's like the doctor didn't want to remove it we had to let it move out gradually so he takes off his hat and sure enough like under his skin on his forehead is the shape of a bullet like half of a bullet it's almost half out of his head i was like oh my god then he showed me the scar from like behind his ear like five inches where they had went in his head and i'm like okay last day um <laughs> Like, who? What? I've heard a lot of dating stories, but nothing quite like that. I um, went out with the largest counterfeiter in Southern California. Seriously? Yeah. I met him at a baby shower, co-ed baby shower. And he told you? Well, no. This is after he got arrested and he was, like, on the news. <laughs> That's how you found out? Yeah. Well, my girlfriend, who's a hair, she's like, I think you're dude. Like, she's, she's a hairdresser and, you know, they had the TV on. She's like, Court, turn to Channel whatever, 5. I'm like, isn't that your dude on the Channel 5 News? <gasps> oh, my gosh. Is that crazy? So whatever date you went on, if he bought dinner, it might have been fake money. It probably was. Wow. Wow. You could be like the star of like a spy dating novel or something. Oh, yeah, that sounds good, right? That'd be cool. Yeah, that would be great. Awesome. So, yeah. And uh, I've done the online dating. Nothing crazy, just like didn't meet anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it holds a lot of value. And, you know, it's like any kind of way of meeting people. Right. It's challenges, too. Yeah. Yeah. I had to learn how to to do it, finesse it. My girlfriend, who I guess is a semi-pro on it when I started, she's like, you know, I'm really nice and like salutation wise and oh my 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 uh favorite thing. Well not favorite, but just my my stick or my thing. I mean it was nice. It was, I would just be like, Oh, thanks for the compliment, but I don't see a connection. I appreciate it. You know, I always felt Let like I had to say that. And my yeah. girl yeah, and my girlfriend's like, You don't have to res- it's the internet. You don't have to talk to everybody. Just ignore them. You don't have to say anything. Wow. And I was like, I don't I feel mean. Like I'm always like the thank you, please. Like that's how I was raised, Aww. you know. You're welcome. Like That's so sad. Like I know. <laughs> just ignore everybody. <laughs> it's the it's the times. It's you the times. Just, yeah. I was like, wow. Wow. So. What's like your dream date? Like actual going out date? On, like happenings, yeah. Event you do with a date. <sighs> I really want to take a helicopter ride, mm. <laughs> like, around L.A., night Aww. lights. That would be nice. I would love to do that. Yeah. Um, have you done that before? Not in L.A. Uh, I did have a helicopter ride into New York. Oh, that's great. Yeah, amazing. I would love that. Yes. Yeah, and it was oh very God. romantic. Uh. Yeah, it's beautiful. I do. I think it's a really unique experience to share right. with somebody. And was it with yeah. someone you liked? Because ha- yeah, okay. yeah, my husband now. <laughs> oh, okay, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it worked out. Nice, good for yeah. him. Yeah, that was that was a smart move. That helped him get you. I guess. There you go. Maybe yeah. maybe that's the key. Now right. everyone's gonna be calling up Courtney and be right. like, Hey, you want to come on the helicopter <laughs> with me? <laughs> hey, getcourt at gmail dot com. <laughs> what advice do you have for somebody who wants to break into comedy? Oh, uh, just get out there. I mean, you really have to. Nobody's going to call you from, like, it was weird. My mother couldn't understand why I had to be out every night. 
And then she saw some comedian on a talk show saying, yeah, I go out every night to the clubs. And she's like, oh, Courtney, oh, now I understand. Like, nobody's going to call you at home to be like, can you do this show when there are 50 comedians in front of them? And you learn so much just watching other comedians, even if you don't get up. And yeah. You need to be in the room, see how comedy is, see what works and doesn't work through other people. Do open mics if you're just starting out, you know, write consistently. I mean, I really used to just go out five times um, every night and I still had a day job. So it was just like five times a week. I mean, so and you're tired and you're going to be tired. But, you know, you have to be out there in the rooms and you meet people and you will get booked. Somebody you do a three minute spot and somebody be like, oh, come do my show next week. So that's how you're going to get more stage time and more experience. You just got to get the words out of your mouth first. Even mm-hmm. if you're like, I don't even know what this joke is. If it's a joke, just get the words out of your mouth. That feels so good. And then you can rework it after that. So I like you know, that. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> For some reason, I'm really inspired by the concept of comedians bombing, which sounds really <laughs> morbid. And yeah, morbid. what's wrong but with you? <laughs> for some reason, I think it's because not because I want to see anybody bomb. Like right. That doesn't make me happy that somebody bombed because I feel bad for them having that experience. But I've heard people say all, all comedians do. Right. And that inspires me because I think in our lives... We all bomb. Right. It, so That's many true. things. We just aren't necessarily on stage and that they keep on going. You know, whenever I hear yeah. of like a super famous right. comedian. Right. Like Seinfeld, everybody yeah, calls me. They, they say bomb. they all bomb. Yeah. And that just gives me hope. Right. <laughs> so, so what have you learned from bombing? From bombing? Well, you learn. You, you really do learn. You're like, well, what happened? I mean, you should really analyze any kind of like, not failure, but whatever in your life. I think you can learn from every kind of, you know, mishap. So, so it's an opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, I remember one time I bombed at the comedy store and it was like Cedric the Entertainer was in the room. Uh, It was really, it was a small crowd. It was crazy. It was like 15, maybe 20 people in there, but T.I., the rapper, with an entourage and uh, Cedric the Entertainer were in the room. And it was just like, and I bombed. And, you know, the lesson that I learned from that was, like, when it's a small audience, I was just doing my material, like, bam, joke one, joke two, joke three, as opposed to relating to the crowd. Mm. So I learned a very important lesson right then just to, um, you know, you have to come off script sometimes. When it's a small, intimate crowd, you're just a person. Like, don't be a robot doing jokes. You know what I mean? So, and, yeah, and that was a very great tool to add to my arsenal. Mm. So um, I like that. I redeemed myself and yeah. And Cedric has seen me since and I killed. That's so. huge. <laughs> That's huge. Yeah. And don't you think too, I don't know if this is a case in comedy as well, but generally we tend to be hardest on ourselves. So yes. we do something, we think it was horrible. And a lot of times, and we still may learn from it. Right. But do you find that sometimes you think you've bombed, and, and in your opinion, you have, and you learn from it. Right. But other people were oh, like, yeah. it was great. What are yeah. you talking about? Because especially when you're on stage, you don't, you can't really hear. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't hear everything. You're trying, like a comedy is really hard because you have to be two steps ahead of yourself as the words are coming out of your mouth, two steps behind because you can't repeat or say what you were saying. You still have to connect and what you said three seconds ago to something five minutes from now. Like, you know, it's a lot going on in your mind and you still have to be free flowing like your natural self at the same time. Like it's a spontaneous it's, thing yeah. you just came up with right now. Exactly. And it's just, it's a lot of mind work 
but it looks so easy. People think it's nothing, you know, like you're not doing anything. So um, I kind of forgot your question, but. <laughs> no, what about you... being hard on yourself. Oh, yeah. Other so, people think it was great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So a lot of times that's right. You can't hear yourself and you might have, you know, been a little too in your head or whatever in a joke. You have a joke that either has gone a certain way or you expect it to go a- another way, like the laugh here as opposed to here or something. And it didn't or, you know, just we just didn't hear something. And, and everybody's like, no, you're tripping. You, you were great. Like, what are you talking about? You, you don't see this? Look at them. Like, no. Yeah. And, and it's like you're still hard on yourself. No, but I didn't do it the way I wanted to do it. You know, but people yeah. are still coming up to you, fans and so obviously you did good, but yeah, we're hard on ourselves. I mean, yeah, comedians are a weird bunch anyway. I think you have to be weird to be a comedian. You got to have some like distress in your childhood. <laughs> like, it seems to me the comedians I've met all have really tremendous heart oh, yeah, and sensitivity and um, and activism in them. Like they mm. feel a sense of purpose or have gone through something. And mm-hmm. you know, I just think it's really amazing to. Uh, to take something that you've been through and and turn it into something yeah. that is going to make yeah. people laugh or see things in another way. Because right. I think comedy is one of the best ways to bring light to important issues. Right, right. Yeah, it really is to bring difference to indifference or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So yeah. tell us how people can see your work and what's coming up. Um, hey, you can catch me at CourtneyBlackComedy.com. I have post all my shows there. Um, my weekly radio show with the J. Anthony Brown radio show. And, um, yeah, come see me at a place near you on a stage Bring your helicopter. You. Oh, yes. And come <laughs> fly. Save me. Pick me up in your helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for Thank being you. here. Thank you. Any last words for our listeners, whether they're experiencing premature ejaculation <laughs> or want to become a comedian? <laughs> well, don't laugh. Let's combine the two. Don't laugh at the guy when the premature ejaculation occurs. Have Be sensitive. Um, you can laugh with your girlfriends. But no, um, have a heart and give them a second chance if you like them. And let me just say that, um, August, I am super proud of you. Like you are doing your thing. I love Girl Boner. I didn't even know like you had this sexual inside demon and she's like, D- I don't know what she is. <laughs> I didn't even know that was part of you, but it's so sexy. And I'm just Aww. so very proud of you for all you've done. So kudos. Yay. Thank you, Courtney. I love it. You've been a great friend and a great person. I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Mutual. Oh, I, I love you. that we're reconnecting. Yeah, I know. After it's so long in A her. long time. And, and we've come a long way. We baby. have. We've grown. We've we grown. Have. Yay. And so, I'm going to come see one of your yay. shows soon here. And you guys can catch my social medias on my website also. Whatever you follow. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram is on CourtneyBlackComedy.com. So thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I hope you come back again. <laughs> I will. And y'all, if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss a beat and consider leaving a simple review while you're there. For lots of sexy goodness, head over to ThePleasureChest.com or visit one of their stores in L.A., Chicago, or New York. They have amazing toys, lube, free workshops if you visit. You can also find their ad on my blog. Go straight to their store and start shopping. AugustMcLaughlin.com or GirlBoner.org. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. <laughs>